Good evening, everybody. Good evening. If you would get a Bible out and open it up to Mark, the 12th chapter. Mark chapter 12, that is where we are going to be for the entirety of the lesson. Just going to work within this text in Mark chapter 12 for the next few minutes as we open up the Word of God together. It is great to see everybody tonight. I'm so glad that you are here, and I'm glad to get to be in the pulpit on a Sunday evening. I almost kind of forgot what it feels like to preach on a PM service, but I just always look so very much forward to our Sunday evening assemblies. They're always just so encouraging. The singing just is kind of almost at an extra volume level on Sunday nights. Hopefully you've had a good Sunday afternoon nap, or we're well rested and ready to go, and I hope you're ready to go right now in the Scriptures. In Mark, the 12th chapter... We are returning to our year-long preaching theme on growing and increasing, and I want to kind of channel that in a very specific direction this evening in Mark chapter 12 as we get to the concluding statement of Jesus' interaction with a certain scribe. We're told in Mark chapter 12, just notice with me if you will please verse 34. In Mark 12 verse 34, that when Jesus saw that this scribe had answered wisely, He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You are not far from the kingdom of God. I want you to imagine with me, if you will, uh, an imaginary couple, a a husband and a wife, a a mother and a father. We're going to call them Jack and Jill. And Jack and Jill have a son. We're going to call him Johnny. And what Jack and Jill want for Johnny more than anything else in the whole world, their dream for Johnny is that one day he will be a professional football player he will play in the National Football League. Now, Jack, I'm trying to remember all the names here, Jack, the dad, he once played college football, but he didn't quite make it to the big leagues, and so that's kind of what's kind of pushing this a little bit. He wants his son to be able to make it all the way there, and so he and Jill, they both just kind of, they kind of have this dream for their son, and so they're kind of pushing him along in that direction. They want their son so badly to play in the NFL someday. It's something that they talk about. It is something that they think about. It is something that they dream about. Man, what would that be like if our son was was drafted by an NFL team and he got to put on their colors and he got to put on their helmet and he got to go out on the field on Monday night, national television, Monday night football. There's our son playing for a worldwide audience. Oh, it would just be so amazing and it would be wonderful. They think about that. They talk about that as being just the ultimate goal for their son someday. But then you go to Jack and Jill and you ask them, hey, did you sign little Johnny up for flag football? And Jack and Jill say, no, didn't even occur to us to do that. Don't know why we would even bother with that. And we say, oh, okay, well, maybe you're out in the backyard tossing the pigskin with your boy and just kind of practicing and getting him used to playing football. And they say, oh, no, we're not doing any of that either. In fact, to make matters worse, little Johnny, he isn't really even physically active. He always sits around in his bedroom all day playing video games, eating Twinkies. Jack and Jill seem content to let him sit in his room and do that all day long. It seems to me that what we have here is we have a couple of parents who say they have these lofty goals for their child and yet they're not really doing anything to help their child to reach those goals, are they? In fact, they may be doing some things that are actually going to hinder little Johnny from ever getting to where they want him to go. Now, of course, it's very easy for us to hear stories and illustrations like that, or maybe we even know real-life examples of that kind of thing. It's easy for us to sit back and point the finger, and we can identify and say, now, well, that's a problem there. There's certainly a problem there with that mom and dad. It's easy for us to point that out in others, but 
But what about you and I? What about you and I and the goals that we have for our children? We do have lots of goals for our kids, lots of very good and very attainable goals, but of course, at the very top of that list, the most important thing of all, the greatest goal that we have for our kids is that one day they will walk down this aisle and they will confess the name of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and they will then step foot into that baptistry or wherever the pool of water may be and put Christ on in baptism. That's what we want, isn't it? That our kids will be Christians so that they can go to heaven someday. And so what do we do? Well, we, we talk about that. And we think about that. And we dream about that, that they'll reach that age of accountability and they'll make that wonderful decision to put Christ on for ba- in baptism. We long for that. We hope for that. We anticipate that. We want that more than anything else for our children. We want them to go to heaven. Well, let me ask you, Mom and Dad, if that is what you want, and I think that is what you want, what are you doing to help your child to get there? What are you doing right now at this present moment in your life and in your child's life? What are you doing right now to help them to someday reach that goal? If your sole answer to that question is, well, I bring little Johnny to church. I'm thinking maybe we need to hit the pause button right about there. Because right about there is where we probably need to stop and we need to reassess what exactly we are doing to help our kids grow closer to God and to draw them to the kingdom of God. And this evening, the way that I want to help us with that is by looking right here in Mark chapter 12. Because in that verse that we just read in Mark chapter 12, Jesus commends a scribe. Did you catch that? Did that strike you as being odd or amazing? That is the only time that that happens in all of the New Testament. That's incredible because usually the scribes, they absolutely hate Jesus. They were the arch enemies of the Lord, if you will. Jesus' favorite word for them was hypocrite. They are the people who helped, in conjunction with others, they helped orchestrate the murder of Jesus. And so for Jesus to come along in Mark 12 and verse 34, and to say to a scribe, you, friend... You are not far from the kingdom of God. That really catches my attention. That stands out to me. And I think there's something here that we can learn from this interaction. Particularly some things that will help those of us as parents and those of us who have influence on kids as we try to help our kids to grow close to the Lord and nearer to His kingdom. Yes, I want to tell you, yes, bringing your kids to church That's really important. I'm going to amen what Cain taught this morning. Bringing your kids to worship services, to Bible classes, bringing them to VBS here in a couple weeks. All of that is very important. Praying with your kids, reading the Bible with your kids, those sorts of things, that's very important as well. Those are all, in some ways, I consider those almost bare minimum sorts of requirements for what we're doing with our kids. But this evening, I'd like for us to look at this guy in Mark the 12th chapter, Because I believe what Jesus is commending him about is not about his perfect attendance at the temple. And he's not commending him about being so good at reading the Bible or praying so much. No, what Jesus is commending this man about are some things about his character, about his inner person that caused him to be close to the Lord. And we want to take note of three things in particular this evening. Three great character qualities demonstrated by this man so that we can then take those things 
and grow them, develop them in our children's lives so that they too, they too can be close to God and to His kingdom. Now to do that this evening, we do need to back up just a little bit in the text and let's just find out, well, what was it that led to Jesus saying this amazing thing to this man? Back up in Mark 12, look in verse 28. Here's where the whole interaction starts. In Mark chapter 12 and verse 28, one of the scribes came up and he heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he, that is seeing that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, I want you to understand that up to this point in Mark the 12th chapter, there has been lots and lots of tension brewing between Jesus and the various religious leaders of His day. If you were to bump all the way back up to verse 1 of this chapter, verses 1 through 12, Jesus tells the parable of the tenants. The parable of the tenants was really designed to be a sharp rebuke of the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Then in verses 13 through 17, the Pharisees and the Herodians, they come up to Jesus and they ask a bunch of questions that the text says are designed to trap Jesus. And if you know how that goes, you know that it doesn't go very well for them. Then in verses 18 through 20, we find that the Sadducees, they start tossing out to Jesus all the hypothetical hand grenades about the woman who had all the husbands and in the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? And of course you know as well, that turns out pretty poorly for them also. And so by the time that we get to verse 28, you know what I'm expecting? The scribe comes up to Jesus. What I'm expecting is I'm expecting more snark and more sarcasm from yet another religious leader of the day. And yet, what we get is really the exact opposite. What we get is actually a very sincere question. This man asks, which is the greatest, the most important commandment of all, Jesus? And I know that Jesus recognizes the sincerity of the man because Jesus just straight up answers his question. Gives him a straight up answer. And that says to me that Jesus recognized the genuineness of this man. The genuineness of his question. And in fact, what that engenders is a very genuine response from the man in return. Pick up in verse 32. The scribe said to Jesus, You're right, teacher. You're right. You have truly said that he is one and that there is no other beside him. And to love Him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself, that is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Which in turn leads to verse 34. Jesus seeing that He answered wisely says to Him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. So what do we have here? We have what begins as a very sincere question and that then receives a very sincere and biblical answer. And that in turn is followed by a sincere and genuine compliment and sincere and genuine commentary on the law of God by this scribe. In a very real way, what this is, is this is a warm and it is a thoughtful exchange about how to serve the Lord. Which shows me, number one, this evening, that this scribe, he has a thinking mind. Just look at it again. This guy has spent some time thinking about the law of Moses. He spent some time thinking about God and who He is. 
He spent some time thinking about how to best sum all of that up. If you could just encapsulate everything into just a short little sentence, what would that be? He spent some time thinking about how to practically put that into practice into his daily life. Jesus is talking to a man who has engaged his brain and he has given considerable thought to matters that are of great and supreme importance. And you know what? That... That is a challenge today. That is a challenge in the society and the culture in which we live. And I want to suggest even more so that that is a challenge for our kids today. Because there is so much in our world that tempts us and draws us to take the brain just kind of out of gear. We're going to shift the brain over into neutral. And instead, we're just going to kind of coast along. We don't really have to pay attention. don't have to engage the mind in any substantive sort of way. Think, for example, about, think for example about the Internet. Much of what is available on the internet is nothing more than bubblegum for the mind. You spend 30 minutes or an hour chewing on some Facebook, chewing on some YouTube, chewing on some Reddit, chewing on some Instagram, and when you're done with all of that, you spit it all out. Why? Because it kind of lost all of its flavor. There's not a whole lot of depth to it. There's not a whole lot going on there. You don't even remember what you looked at an hour later. No one in history has ever said, you know what, I'm going to get on Facebook and sharpen my intellect. No one's ever said that because that's not going to happen. In our world today, critical thinking, engaging the mind, being thoughtful, that is something that is a real struggle and seems to elude people a lot these days. You just watch it. You've been in a conversation with somebody about a really important and deep uh, current event type thing going on. Something that's really complex and complicated and difficult to answer. And people just immediately think they have the answer. People just jump right in. You maybe strike up a conversation. Man, what do you think about this North Korea deal? Man, what, what, what should we do about North Korea? Man, that's a, you start thinking, I mean, that's a really tough question. You start studying it. It's a really complicated question. Yeah, you ask that question and people are quick to chime in. Oh, I'll tell you what we should do. Just nuke them all. Blow them all up. Blow them to smithereens. Really? You're okay with just blowing up untold millions of innocent women and children and other civilians? You're okay with a cloud of nuclear fallout affecting untold millions of our allies like South Korea and some of the other neighboring nations? Of course, as soon as you say that, the response that you get is, well, well, I never thought about that. Do you hear it? I never thought. I wasn't thinking about that. And that is very much a problem in our day and time. Not a whole lot of thinking going on. Yet when I look at this scribe in Mark chapter 12, this is very much a thinking man. And if we're going to help our kids to draw near to God and to His kingdom, then we're going to need to encourage them to be thinking People, thinking young men, thinking young ladies. People who will open up their Bible and who will engage their brains that God gave them as we give careful consideration to the Word of God. And so what does that mean, maybe practically speaking? Well, that would mean practically speaking, for example, that on the car ride home after church, we're going to ask them questions like, Hey, what did you learn in Bible class this morning? What did you talk about in there? What does all of that mean? What's the take home for that? What's the lesson we're supposed to learn from that? And hey, what about the sermon today or the sermons today? Well, what was that about? 
Well, what did you take out of those sermons? And what about the songs that we sang? Those songs were teaching as well. What about that one song that we sang and the words that were in that song? What do you think that means? And what are we supposed to get out of that? And what were we saying to God in that? We need to ask our kids those kinds of questions. And even more so, mom and dad, we need to get our kids to ask us questions. Look here at this scribe, verse 28. He's the one who came to Jesus. And he's the one who initiated this and asked the question. And I want you to notice that Jesus did not blow him off. Jesus did not tell him, now i tell you what, buddy, that's about the dumbest question I ever heard in my life. No. Jesus welcomed his question. Jesus commented on his question. Jesus engaged him in further discussion even beyond the question, mom and dad. Are we doing that with our kids? When our child maybe comes along and they ask a tough question like, how do we know that Jesus rose from the dead? Or, mom, dad, how can we really be sure that the Bible is a book sent from God? Do we shout back with things like, how dare you ask that question? You shouldn't ask questions like that. You're supposed to just believe and accept them. Oh, what a terrible answer. Are we stifling our children's thinking? Or are we, on the other hand, are we encouraging them to be thoughtful and careful in their thoughts? We want our kids to be thinkers. And I'm going to give you another reason as to why we want our kids to be thinkers. Because Jesus says, look at verse 30. Jesus says that part of loving God is loving Him with all of your mind. Mind. Do our kids love God with all of their minds? Because the truth is, so much of what pulls kids, and even what pulls adults as well, away from the Lord, so much of that involves turning off the mind and sort of planting all of that with the cares of the world, or maybe just the distraction of sin. We want our kids to do better than that, to rise above all of that. We want them to be like this scribe here. We want them to be careful thinkers and thoughtful students of the Word. When a child can think, when a child can think critically about the Bible, that brings a child closer to the Lord. And right along with that is this second great quality. Would you notice in verse 32? Because in addition to developing the intellect of our children... We also secondly want to cultivate honest hearts in our children. Look at verse 32 again of Mark chapter 12. The scribe says to Jesus, when Jesus gives the answer to his question, the scribe's response is, you are right, teacher. You're right. You are right. You have truly said that God is one and that there is no other beside Him. You know, why is this the only scribe in all of the New Testament that Jesus ever gives a commendation to? Why is that distinction reserved for this guy and this guy only? I guess maybe there's a lot of reasons for that. Maybe because all of his fellow scribes, they were always trying to to trick and to trip Jesus up with their thoughts and their ideas and their questions. Maybe it was because all those other scribes, they were just always just jealous and green with envy when they looked at Jesus. Man, he's just able to captivate an audience. He's able to preach and teach with authority and we obviously can't do that. Whatever it was, the scribes were always trying to undermine, to undercut Jesus and His authority. But this guy, this guy in Mark 12, this guy in verse 32, he's willing to say, Jesus, you're right. You're exactly right. He said that without a hint of guile. He said that without the slightest hint of sarcasm. 
He said that without trying to set some kind of additional trap for Jesus. He said that even in the presence of all the other scribes who were standing there and bickering and arguing with Jesus. And he stood there and said that even though all of his compadres probably wanted him to say the exact opposite. This scribe, he risks being shunned by his peers. Why? Because this guy has an honest heart. He has honesty enough in his heart to admit Jesus You're right. And there's just no other two ways around that. And it seems to me that if we want our children to grow close to God and to His kingdom, that's what we need to be cultivating, is honest and good hearts. Honesty, of course, is essential to any and every relationship that we have. For example, we want our kids to be honest with their friends and with their peers. And so instead of them saying to their friends, Oh, I I can't do that, I can't be involved in that because my mom and dad would kill me if they found out. What we want our kids to say is, I can't do that because it's wrong. It's not right. And I refuse to be involved in that. We want our kids as well. We want them to be honest with us, their parents and their authority figures. We want them to tell us the truth. And that means not just not lying to us, but it means as well that we want them to be open with us. We want them to be forthcoming with us and to just tell us all the truth. We want our kids as well to be honest with God, their Creator who made them. We want them to have the kind of integrity within themselves about who and what they are. That how they conduct themselves in here on Sunday, well, that's the way they conduct their lives out there Monday through Saturday. And maybe most importantly of all, we want to teach our kids to be honest with themselves, with what they say to themselves. That they speak the truth in their heart. And they do not lie to themselves about their sins. They do not lie to themselves about their need or what they think is their lack of need for God. David says in Psalm 15 and in verse 2, Blessed is a man who does what is right and speaks the truth in his heart. That's what we're pushing for. We're pushing for honest hearts here. But even as I say that, I'll confess to you, honesty honesty is not always easy. And in some cases, it just does not always come naturally for folks. And that's especially true for kids. I saw a recent survey that said that 82% of teenagers admitted to lying to their parents in the past 12 months. 82%. Now, the cynic in me wants to say that that other 18% who said that they had always been honest with their parents in the past 12 months, the cynic in me wants to say that they lied to the survey taker. Whether I'm right or wrong about that, I don't know, but it is pretty telling. And maybe the reason for that is, maybe the reason that sometimes our kids are not honest is because they just end up replicating what they see going on at home. They replicate what they see going on in mom and dad's life. For example, one in four Americans say that it's okay to lie about your income whenever you file your taxes. One in five Americans say that it's okay to lie about your child's age in order to get a meal discount at a restaurant. Let me ask you, how does that help to cultivate honest hearts in the lives of our kids? Remember, God's people are to just be characterized by truth and honesty. For example, in John 4, verse 23, Jesus says that the true worshipers are those who worship in spirit and truth. Jesus went on to say in John chapter 8 and verse 32 that it is the truth that sets us free. And why? Well, because Jesus Himself is the way, the truth, 
and the life. John 14, verse 6. And the only way that we can ever come to the truth and be set free by the truth and worship God in truth is to be people who are truthful and honest in their hearts. Just like this scribe here in Mark, the 12th chapter. I'll say again, this guy risked the ridicule of all of his friends and everybody else that was standing there. He may have even risked being cast out and be totally disowned by this fraternity of scribes. But he was so committed to standing for truth, he was willing to take that risk. Which is exactly what we want for our kids. That even when it is unpopular, even when it is difficult, you go to school and you get around other kids, you know what? It is hard to be a person of honesty and integrity and to be a person who stands for truth. That's really hard. But we want them to have such a depth of honesty built up in their heart that they will even chance facing those temporal consequences because standing up and speaking up for the truth, it is much more important. We need to be teaching that to our kids. We need to be modeling that for our kids. We need to expect that from our kids. Because an honest heart, that's going to draw us closer to God, closer to His kingdom. And in fact, Luke 8 verse 15 says... That an honest heart is the kind of heart that's going to bear fruit for the Lord. Which brings me to this third and final great quality that the scribe exhibits here in Mark chapter 12. In verse 33, would you notice in verse 33, I really kind of deem this to be really just kind of the pinnacle moment for this guy in the conversation with Jesus. Because it is there in verse 33 that he really seems to understand the priority of love. Look at verse 33 again. After saying, Jesus... You're exactly right. Our God, He is one. There's no other beside Him, verse 33. And to love Him with all the heart and all the understanding and all the strength, and then to love one's neighbor as oneself, that is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. That is an amazing statement. Yes, it is true this man is a thinking man, and he does have an honest heart. But what really stands out to me here are these amazing words in verse 33. Because for a Jewish scribe, if you lived in first century times and you were a scribe amongst the Jews, your top priority in life was to try to strive to maintain and uphold the Jewish temple system with all of its rituals and all of its offerings and all of its sacrifices and all the things that go along with that. And for you to come along and say something like this... This is truly stunning. That sacrificial system that went on at the temple and all the things that went along with that form of religion, that was very much the symbol of Judaism. And for a scribe, that was their special place. And they loved that dearly. In fact, about 40 years after this occasion in Mark chapter 12, many of those very scribes would stand there at that temple and they would die to defend it. But this guy, this guy looked at the temple and all the things that went on in the temple, and he said, you know what? That's not actually as important as everybody else around here thinks that it is. Because if we don't love God, and if we don't love our neighbor, then all these sacrifices that we're offering up, they really don't amount to very much at all. Love, he says, must undergird every single bit of that. And I believe that. That is what caused Jesus to say that amazing thing that He said in verse 34, that friend, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You get it! 
You understand the priority and the primacy of love. And that's what we need to be emphasizing to our kids above everything else. It's third on my points this evening, but that don't mean it's third in importance. It is of greatest importance. Yes, I want to say to you tonight, we need to teach our kids the importance of the one church concept. We need to teach them the importance of the work of the church, the organization of the church, the worship of the church. We want to teach them about the need for a plurality of elders. We want to teach them that the preacher is not the pastor. We want to teach them and help them understand why we do not use instrumental music in our worship to God. We want to teach them about the pattern of the weekly observance of the Lord's Supper. And all of those other distinctive marks of New Testament Christianity. Do not leave here tonight thinking that I'm somehow saying that those things are not important. They are important. But my question is... Do we think that that's all that there is to Christianity? And do we sometimes maybe give our kids the impression that that's all that there is to Christianity? Our kids need to hear and they need to see demonstrated in our lives that the emphasis of a walk with Jesus Christ, it begins and it ends and all in the middle it is sustained by love. Love for the Lord. I do not ever want my child to grow up and she's heard daddy all of her life say so much and preach so hard about Bible authority or put so much emphasis on on obedience and strictness against sin and wickedness that she seldom ever hears me say the first word about my love for God and about our need to love God and why we should love God and about the great love that God has demonstrated to us. God forbid that we would ever raise children to be little Pharisees instead of raising them to be Christians. Jesus said... The most important commandment is to love the Lord your God. Mom and dad, are we prioritizing that in our kids' lives? That everything that we do, what we're doing here today, and everything that we else, everything else that we do in our lives in service to the Lord, why are we doing that? We're doing it out of a heart of love and appreciation and gratitude for the Lord, for all that He's done for us. That that love, it is at the center of all that we do. Why? Because we are truly people who love God. Are we saying the kind of thing that the scribe says here? That loving God. Actually, let's just look at that verse again. Look at verse 34, verse 33 again. That to love God with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself, that it is much more than all of church attendance and all the scrupulously correct worship services that we offer. we doing that. And if we do have that love for God, then the second part of that is also important. Do our kids also see that we have a love for our neighbor? Do they see that the very reason that God saved us is so that we can serve, we can serve others? That our love for others ought to extend to them the gospel of grace as well. Extend the gospel of grace to even our fellow man. I remember a couple years ago, whenever Hurricane Harvey hit down in in Houston in the Texas area, remember there was lots of stuff on social media about people trying to post things and trying to figure out how they could help, and I'm offering different things of help. And I remember seeing one sister in Christ, who she posted and she was asking if maybe anyone knew of a family that had been affected by the storms down in Texas, 
that she and her husband and their family that they could kind of adopt and, and bring into their home and help them and provide for them and do whatever they could for them during that difficult time. And I was kind of reading down through it, and at the bottom of it she also said that she had a three-year-old son. And her three-year-old son, when he heard of all the terrible things that had happened down in Texas and along the Gulf Coast, he was just heartbroken by that. And he started thinking about all the stuff that he had, started thinking about all his toys and all his games. And he said, Mommy, could I maybe give some of my toys to some of those kids who lost all of their toys? I think about that. And I'm going to guess that that mother, she is not only near to the kingdom of God, but she is in the kingdom of God. And I'm going to guess as well that she is raising a three-year-old son who is getting closer and closer to that kingdom every single day. What I love about this scribe in Mark 12, really what Jesus loved about this scribe, is that he truly understood the central component in our relationship with the Lord. He got it. He understood that the main thing is about love. And what did he do with that main thing? He kept the main thing the main thing. We start with love for God. That extends to love for our fellow man. And then everything else that we do in our life, it flows from that. It comes from that. It it, it issues from a heart that is of love. When we instill that into our kids as the number one priority, then I believe we are helping them take a huge step forward in growing in the direction of the kingdom of God. Now, I wouldn't think very much at all of parents who talked all the time and made a big deal about the goal for their kid is to be a player in the National Football League, but then only to learn that somehow all of their talk never really led to doing anything. They never really took any of the necessary and essential steps to achieving that goal. That just would seem kind of empty and hollow because that just doesn't work. In a similar way, we dream the dream of our children. One day standing in a pool of water just like that one back there. And then confessing their faith in Jesus as God's Son. And then being buried with Christ in baptism. And we imagine that. We think about that. and What a great day that's going to be. But if that is, Mom and Dad, if that is our North Star that is guiding us, we're, all right, we're heading in that direction, that's where we're trying to get to, that's the goal, then we must do a whole lot more than just talk about it. We must do a whole lot more than just think about it. We must do so much more than just kind of hypothesize and dream about this grand moment in the future and when it will occur. We must determine that we're going to teach and we're going to model and we are going to instill these kinds of qualities that this scribe exhibited so that our kids will day by day, slowly but surely, sometimes in small increments, They will be drawn nearer to the kingdom of God. And ultimately, a day comes when they will be in the kingdom of God. And it is on that note that we extend the invitation of the Lord. And it is an invitation to be in the kingdom of God. To be recognized as a citizen, as a servant of King Jesus. There may be somebody here tonight who maybe for the longest time without me even realizing it, you've kind of been hovering around the kingdom of God. You're here in this assembly. You're here quite regularly. In fact, I don't see anybody here tonight who's never been here before. Got a lot of regular type folks here. You're here a lot. You're around the kingdom in many sorts of ways. 
And maybe you've got some interest in the kingdom. In fact, maybe you have some very critical thoughts. You've thought a lot about the kingdom of God, about what a relationship with the Lord would be like. And maybe as well, you do have an honest and a good heart. And you know what? You even have some love for God. That's really, really good. But the problem is, you've never pulled the trigger, and you've never gotten fully on board with this Christianity thing. My question is, what are you waiting for? There will never be a better time than right now to act upon what you know, you honestly know in your heart is good and is right. Now is the time to render your obedience to the gospel of Christ. Our God, He loved you so much that He sent His Son to die so that you could live. Why do you not now demonstrate your love for Him by acting upon what you know, confessing your faith, being buried with Christ in baptism, and letting the Lord add you to His kingdom so that you can then become His child? And you can then begin that process of just continuing to grow. Grow day by day. Let us help you. You help us as we all grow in the direction of heaven. If you are a Christian... But it may be, brother or sister, that you're not as close to God as you ought to be. Maybe you're not as close to God as you once were. And maybe that's caused by, I don't know, lukewarmness, indifference. Maybe sin, iniquity has created a separation between you and your God. Come back. Brother or sister, come back right now. Let us pray with you. Let us encourage you. Repent and make your life right with the Lord. Let's all grow close to Jesus and let's all go to heaven together. We can help you in any way this evening to be in the kingdom of God. Would you make that known by coming to the front? Do that right now while we stand and while we sing.